Good morning, uh, Dan. Uh, it's Darren Fair with Dan Freeberg uh, this morning. And um, first of all, happy birthday, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, one more year until you can uh, say that you have reached the midpoint of your life. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, on a little more somber note, we're coming off of a week that uh, we see, have seen some record devastation. Some real problems, and first of all, first and foremost, on behalf of Premier Crop, and all of us uh, uh, really, really sorry to see all of our farm friends and family uh, go through this. Uh, our hearts, minds, and prayers go out to all those with, that have had such significant loss. Um, four dead, three in Iowa, one in Illinois. Um, two, still on Friday, 200,000 people without power, um, which is really, really difficult. Um, I, I don't know. I've heard something like 10 to 15 million acres damaged or written off completely. Um, some some really serious devastation uh, and more, even even more than that you know we have a grain storage problem with with just thousands of on-farm storage bins uh, damaged or ruined completely so uh, we have a fairly significant weather issue and and it kind of sets up the topic for today on um, farm planning and this is a question that we get often from from either prospects or customers, is why should I spend so much time planning when I can't control the weather? And so let's just talk a little bit about that, about what goes into the resulting yield efficiency and, and how do we, how should we think about planning in light of the fact that we, yes, we do not control the weather and we cannot predict the weather uh, so what advice, Dan, do you have for our listeners? So, uh, you know, sometimes it's best to tell a story or to paint a visual picture in people's yeah. minds. So this is one I've, I've used over the years. And um, as farm size gets larger, it may, you know, may need to change the numbers. But I ask people to, uh, you know, a lot of times this is dialogue with growers, you know, and the question comes up and they're, they're so frustrated by, you know, they're so, you know, what happens is they're just so frustrated by an event like what happened. You know, it's just, yeah. you have green snap, you have some wind event, you have hail, you have drought, you know, so it's just, so there's just a frustration and that's where I know what, that's where it comes from. And I understand the helplessness and the, that, but so I ask, I, I have a, I paint this picture in your local area, in your local market, there's 160 acres that is coming up for sale. It's 160 acres that is really uniform. It's all one soil type. It's been farmed for the last 30 years by the same operator. It's been rotated as 160 acres. So for 30 years, it's been either, in this, in this case, it's either been corn or soybean, okay? So it's coming up for sale and the auctioneer sells it initially as a 160 acre track, but then commonplace, sometimes they will divide the track. And so they, they offer it as two eighties. And sure enough, it, when they split it up and offer it as two eighties, it goes for a much higher price as two eighties than it did for the 160. And so I, then I, so I just asked, I asked the growers, you know, that I'm talking to how much yield difference 
or you could say how much yield efficiency difference would there could there be between the two eighties? What you know, so so because what I've done is I basically said, you know, th this is uniform. It's been farmed the same, and and because it's a one sixty, you know, it there those two growers are going to experience the exact same weather events, right? So mm -hmm. so I ask him how much yield difference there could be, and I've never done that. But what the answer isn't. You know, in the case of corn, it's 30 or 40 bushel difference. I mean, people, you know, so think about that. You know, if there could be 30 or 40 bushel differences, you know, you're talking more than a hundred, $150 an acre swing uh, in yield efficiency. So, so just, um, so farmers, you know, so the whole point of that exercise is, you know, they, in, in everybody's heads, they know that management matters. You know, it's not all, no matter what the weather, no matter what the weather, no matter you know the the, the details, the details that you that, that go into farming really do matter. And managing the management decisions that each of those growers makes, you know, it, that's where all the profit is. You know that so so details matter. It's you know management matters. That's what that's what we're all about. Is that you know. Management matters, and management matters no matter what um, situation. Is. We've seen that. Uh, we've seen that time and time again, where our customers are constantly in the top ten percent of the sort of the sort of the, the performance in their counties, for example, uh, where where you would typically you, you'd see some some sort of similar climatic conditions, um, and and where where management is intensified, or where we get this this behavior of you know, this professional occupation of farming, um, you have the ability to make a difference. So what part of this planning process, how do we approach planning uh, knowing that we can't control the weather? Uh, what should we plan for in terms of environment? If we talk about genetics and environment and management, this management piece is a component which we do a lot to help with in terms of managing sort of right rate technology, but how should we approach weather in terms of, well, am I, am I planning for a dry year? Am I planning for a, a wet year? Am I planning for a 15 year average? What do you, what do you say about, you know, what, what should be in the lens? I think it, so much of planning and really so much of the way people farm is about managing risk, right? That's a, it, a lot of the decisions are risk management. And so it, and, and that, it tends to be very uh, individual, right? So it's like some people's tolerance to risk is much greater. And how that plays out agronomically is if, you're, if your tolerance for risk is greater, you might, you might be more aggressive in the way you plan and the way you, the decisions you make. And if your tolerance for risk is, is less, I mean, you don't have, and, and that could just be the financial constraints you're under. You know, it's like the when you're under financial constraints, sometimes you have to be a little bit more conservative. So, so for example, so for example, if you are um, like hybrid hybrid selection, so so you might if if you're more conservative, you might deliberately choose hybrids that have a lot of flex, you know, just because they allow you. So that flex, meaning the ear size can flex. That flex by choosing flex, it might it, it allows you to to deal with 
the diversity of weather that you might experience. You know, a dry would let you plant at a lower population, right? So in a dry year, you have a lower population, you're better able to handle the, the moisture stress. And in a wet year, if it, it's wet, you have a little bit more potential for the hybrid to flex. Versus, versus you know, when you make that choice, you, you could be choosing to give up, you know, the top end, right? Versus you, there may be a, there may be a racehorse that is capable of hitting the very highest yield uh, for your area. And, and you may have passed on that, but you passed on it because you're managing risk in a more conservative way versus somebody who's, who's maybe more aggressive. They, they might go just the opposite and they, 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 they go out and pick those racehorse high, the very highest yielding numbers and, and plant them on a percent of their acres just because they're, they, they're allowed to be more aggressive. I want to dig into soil fertility a little. Um, you've been a soil fertility expert for many, many years. Um, kind of more of a practitioner, just somebody that's just, just had the luxury, just had the luxury of, had the luxury of seeing lots and lots of data. You have had the luxury of experimenting with other people's farms <laughs> and seeing terrific results of all experimentation, which was fantastic. It, it's been fun. It's like, uh, you know, that's what's really fun about all this is it's, <laughs> you, you, you get to, you know, in the data, so you, you, right. in the, you see all this going on in the data and it just, it speaks, you know, it's like it, uh, it allowed, but then you're able to actually put down a trial or an experiment and, and follow it through and see the results. So it's, it's really been fun that way. Which is such a, which is such a big reason why we're so passionate about what we do is because we see the re results and the reality of it. But on the soil fertility level, you know, we've seen it time and time again, we've gone through weather events, uh, whether it's drought or, or, uh, flooding, and where we have established really strong long-term soil fertility principles. We have seen it time and time again. Our customers go through that easier or with better performance than others. Why? Yeah, I think it's just in the, I think, I think what you're, so I think what you're speaking to is in, when, when the weather turns against us, um, and that could be dry, you know, because we got areas that are yep. really dry or whatever. So when the weather turns against us, I think that's when the reward, the reward for having managed fertility really pay. And it, so whatever that weather event is, it, so I, I think we see more response to having that long-term fertility management in stress years than we do great years. I mean, when, when everything's perfect, you know, when everything's perfect weather-wise, you, you still see it in data, but I don't think it's quite as dramatic as it is in a stress year. It's almost like an, an unseen insurance policy it to is. some extent. It so really it's, is. It's not going to save you, but it's certainly not going to let you get as severe as others. It is. It's exactly what it is. And I think that's, I think that's the premise of this planning piece that, you, you know, that, we can't save our way to prosperity. We know that. And this isn't, this game isn't about cutting costs, it's about managing costs. And, and, and when we talk about planning, we're talking about managing costs, managing resources in a way that we're allocating them to the areas that can return the greatest. And we're managing risk in areas where we know that productivity has historically been low. Yep. We're, we, 
in some, you know, sometimes I get challenged. It's like, because of what we do, it's like, you're programming the field, how to behave. You know what I mean? It's like, you are, you are, you are literally telling the field how to behave. And it's like, well, yeah, but we're, we're doing it, but it's based on data. It's based on, you know, how, you know, how the field has behaved. And then we constantly challenge ourselves. We put check blocks inside learning blocks inside prescriptions, just constantly to validate, you know, are we missing something? You know, it's just to make sure we don't, to make sure we don't make a mistake in how we program the field. But it's, it, you know, to me, this weather, this weather piece of planning has everything to do with, um, you know, so, so there's a lot of growers who are sitting on a mountain of historic yield data and they haven't necessarily used it very effectively. And to me, that's, that's a, just a great starting place. It's just a great way to get started and to use your historic yield data to identify, you know, it's, a, it's part of setting realistic yield expectations. Yes. You know, it's just because it starts to let you know what, what's, what's that area, what's the best, you know, what's the best it's ever done. And, could, you know, so just, it's just having realistic yield expectations. So for, for every part of it. Yeah. You know, there's just areas that there's areas that people farm that just can't that, you know, they're never going to be, you know, they're never going to produce at the highest level. And so then it's just about, you know, managing way more conservatively in those areas. And and, and you made a comment to me, uh, you know, several years back. Sometimes it's not even what you buy, it's where you put it and how much you put on. You know, like I believe that you know the products that you use matter. Um, I you know I believe that we should plan before we buy. Everything works somewhere. Nothing works everywhere. Right on. So they're just farmers are just you know they are bombarded by all kinds of new products that you know yield enhancers or efficiency this or you know and the, there's just constant you know it's uh, microbials and stimulants and seed treatment. I mean, it's just, and those, you know, it's just every, they, they all work in some place. Otherwise they wouldn't have found their way to the market, but, but they don't work everywhere. I'll guarantee you that it's like, there's, because they're, they're not, they're just not always, you know, there's something else that's more yield limiting than whatever they're fixing. So, so, so figuring out what works where and at what rate is just the magic that we're all chasing. Um, one last point, planning spatially versus at a field level, pros and cons. Yeah, it, the field level is, a, if, you know, Darren, there's operations that treat thousands of acres the same, right? So I mean, they, they just, they literally do everything exactly the same on every acre. And uh, so going to a field level is a great start for them. You know, it's like just, you know, finally, it's finally starting just acknowledge that there's differences within fields. That's a great start. but. You know, for us, it's just way deeper than that. It's just, um, you know, it's just squeezing, squeezing every possible bushel and dollar out of every uh, acre is just critical. So we we think it, the, we think that where this obviously leads is managing within fields. You know, it's just within areas of fields that are just have dramatically different, uh, you know, productivity potential. Yeah, and just for our listeners' uh, uh, perspective, we were literally managing every 20 by 30 foot uh, area inside of every field and looking at them 
looking at them uniquely looking at them as it could be different and we if it is we would do something different in that small area of that field um and it's all within the re equipment restraints right yes. so it's like i mean it's we are we're we we're realists we we, we know we know that you know we kind of know the constraints of the equipment as it goes across the field and what it's capable of executing on and when we think about applying our right rate technology to farm planning versus field level planning how much money is at stake like like is it worth it is the hill worth the climb it sure is there's uh, it, it's not hard in data to find hundred hundred dollar an acre swings you know, and you think about the time, you think about where we're at today, $100 an acre, is, it is just gigantic. And, and that's, those are one or two, you know, the, the, those are, it's, it's easy to find one or, you know, just individual decisions that amount to $100 an acre swing. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hundreds of dollars an acre differences. It's a, it's a huge deal. Um, and planning without um, proving the result uh, doesn't really do us any good because we can't really tell the tell how effective our planning is. So uh, something that we do very well is uh, prove prove that the prescription pays or prove yep. that the plan pays. Yep, just that constant, um, you know, analyzing what you did, making sure, and then and then you know, it's just we we analyze we analyze, <laughs> and then we turn that into advice, and you know that that advice could be you know it's. It, it's anything related to how you know how you make management decisions or agronomic decisions and, and then we that that advice turns into action so and the action many times is you know what you know it's driving differences in how we treat pieces of fields so it's and it's just a continuous cycle right it's just it's all about it's all about shared learning and continuous improvement We'll, uh, we'll keep talking about planning and yield efficiency uh, in our upcoming podcast. Dan, thanks for being here. I hope you have a fantastic birthday. <laughs> for anybody you. who wants more information on, uh, on farm planning and proving your plan pays, you can get a, get a hold of us at www.premiercrop.com. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening to the Premier Podcast, where everything agronomic is economic. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can continue to provide the best precision ag and analytic results for you.